this pretty regularly whenever we come to this, uh, to use his gospel as a beginning point. John seems to give us, or, well, it doesn't seem, he gives us information that some of the other gospel writers don't, don't give us. John was the last one of the four to write his gospel. And um, as near as everybody can identify or estimate, John's in his 90s. And this book is written almost 60 years, somewhere around 60 years after Jesus was risen from the dead. He knows about Matthew's gospel that's been in wide circulation. He knows about Mark's. He knows about Luke's. And the Holy Spirit seems to impress John to write a gospel to fill in the blanks and let us know things that the other gospel writers don't know. As a result, we've got more information about Jesus' um, words and the things that he spoke to his disciples about, particularly at the last, uh, on the last night, the night that he was betrayed, the last time he was with his disciples. And in filling, out, filling in some of the blanks, John tells us some things about the Holy Ghost that the other writers don't. John 16, verse 13, Jesus is speaking of things to come, things that will be and how things will be after he's risen from the dead. He says in verse 13, he says, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now Jesus is telling us where he'll guide us. Where he's going to lead us. Lead and guide mean pretty much the same thing in both our natural language and in the Greek language as well, the words that are used for them. So it's, the Bible tells us that every one of us can and should be led by the Holy Ghost. And John tells us where. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth. This word truth is used uh, in both places. It's used in verse 13. It means reality. He'll guide you into all reality. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth or all reality. For he shall not speak of himself. Please notice that phrase. For he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now, in John chapter 14, verse 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says something about the words that he speaks. He said, the words that I speak, I speak not of myself, but it's the Father in me that doeth the works. So he connects the words with the works. And just as Jesus is telling us about the Holy Ghost, that he won't speak of himself, Jesus has just told them at the Last Supper that he doesn't speak of himself either. He's not the originator of the words that he speaks. The Holy Ghost is not the originator of the words that he speaks. They speak God's words. Now look in chapter 17. This is a little bit later in the evening or in the, the night, same night, just before Jesus is betrayed and before the Romans show up to take him captive. And it says that, uh, it tells us about Jesus' prayer. It, it's, it's excellent, but we don't to, uh, take the time to go through it in detail. But in John chapter 17, verse 17, he says something about the, uh, his disciples and those that would believe on him through their name, which means you and me. And he says in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them, separate them for God's purpose and use. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The same word is used in John 16. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now, as we said before, sanctify means to, to separate 
for a holy purpose. Notice what he says, we'll do that. And the only thing that will do that is the truth of God's word. So if the Holy Ghost is the spirit of truth, and he's going to guide us into all truth, and the word is truth, then he's going to guide us into his word. He's going to guide us into his word. One place that it's uh, so obvious that the church fails and Christians get themselves in a mess is that they don't know the truth so they can't know the leading of the Holy Ghost. If the Holy Ghost is going to lead you into the Word, that means the Word and the Holy Ghost are always going to agree. The Spirit and the Word agree in every situation. But if you don't know what the Word says, how are you going to be led? If He's going to guide you into the truth of the Word, and we don't do our part to study to show ourselves approved, we don't do our part to, to meditate in the Word and read and study it and, and allow it to become the foundation for our lives, then how are we going to be led by the Holy Ghost? How is that possible? Well, I think that's one great disadvantage that God has in working with the modern-day church because very few Christians know the Word. Very few church, churches really teach the entirety of the Word for people to know and have a foundation. Jesus said in John 6, 63, you remember, the flesh profits nothing, but it's the spirit that quickeneth or maketh, maketh alive. He said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Look with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to start in verse 13, <clears throat> read the context of this story. When Jesus, verse 13, Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man am? And they said, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And he said unto them, but whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now notice verse 17. He's saying that Peter is just spoken by the revelation of the Holy Ghost. He's not saying that the words that Peter spoke were inspired by the Holy Ghost for him to speak. He's not talking about some manifestation of the Holy Ghost or prophecy or something like that. He's saying from what the Holy Ghost has revealed to you, You've taken it, committed yourself to it, and understood it, and now that's been a foundation for you to answer, but he credits the answer from coming from God. So we could say in this case, the words that Peter spoke were not of himself, but of the Holy Ghost. In other words, he's in agreement with the truth that's been revealed to him by the Father, and as he speaks that truth, it's the same thing that Jesus did when he said, the words that I speak are not of myself, they're of my Father. Now Jesus says Peter does the same thing. But we're not through with the story. And I say also unto thee, verse 18, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was the Christ. 
That seems counterproductive to his purpose. But most of us don't understand his purpose. Jesus wasn't come to the earth to prove that he was the son of God. He was come to the earth to show us the father. From that time forth, let's keep reading verse 21. From that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. One of the other gospel writers says of this point in time that Jesus began to plainly teach. Plainly teach. In other words, this must be the reason why Jesus upbraided his disciples after he was raised from the dead because they didn't believe. It'd be unfair for Jesus to get mad at them for something they didn't know. But here it tells us that he began to clearly teach them about what's going to happen in Jerusalem, how he's going to be taken captive, how he's going to be killed, and how he's going to be raised again the third day. Faith begins where the will of God is known. When Jesus revealed the will of God and the the things that were yet to come, he expected his disciples to believe. He gave them the tools to believe. He gave them the foundation, the substance of that which was to come so that they would believe. Then Peter took him, verse 22, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Verse 23, but Jesus turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Now, just as Peter is, uh, what was it, verse 18, where Jesus tells him he spoke by the inspiration of the Father, verse 17. Just as Jesus spoke in verse, uh, uh, Peter spoke in verse 17, inspired by God in the sense that he's speaking in line with what the Holy Ghost has revealed to him. In the same way, now we get down a few verses later, and he's speaking by inspiration of the devil. Now, again, I don't believe that means the devil has uh, put words in his mouth and inspired him to prophesy in some sense. But just as Peter is speaking according to his understanding in verse 17, or Jesus credits it to him in verse 17, just as he's spoken by the Holy Ghost and spoken the truth, which is where the Holy Ghost leads you to be in every case and in every situation. Now we get down a few verses later, verse 23 or whatever it is. Now Peter speaks, but this, this speaking is according to his understanding or his desires and not according to what God's revealed to him. Notice the flip that takes place here. When Peter answers and says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus immediately says, God inspired you to say that. The knowledge you've received from God, the truth that's been revealed to you has been the foundation for what you just said. Those words were not just of yourself. Now, they were his words, certainly. They were based on his knowledge or his understanding, certainly. But the revelation or the knowledge coming to him was engineered by the Holy Ghost. But then down in verse 23, where Peter says, not so, Lord. What's he saying not so to? What's he saying not so too? He's saying what Jesus told them plainly, clearly about being killed in Jerusalem and rising up again the third day. 
Peter is saying that's not true. Peter rebukes Jesus, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Now, whatever his motive is, and I'm not here to judge people's motives, whatever his motive is, I choose to think that it was a, uh, a well-intended motive. He didn't want Jesus to go away. But nevertheless, regardless of what his motive was, I, I think that he's operating out of love for Jesus, natural love for Jesus, not wanting him to depart. But whatever his motive is, he's just told Jesus that the word's not true. And what does Jesus do? He pats him on the back and says, Peter, I understand how this would be tough for you to hear. No, that's not what he does. He doesn't mince any words about it. He says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus recognized the source of the words that are coming from Peter. No matter what Peter thinks his purpose is, no matter what Peter's intention might be, whether it's out of love, whether it's out of respect, whether it's out of uh, kindness, whatever his purpose Whatever his motive, Jesus identifies it as contrary to the truth. He identifies it as Satan's words. Now, if, if I'm right about Peter's love for Jesus, and we know he was in the inner circle and one of the ones that Jesus held closest to him, if he's right, or if we're right about assuming that his motive and his purpose was a loving one, even his emotions... Don't count when it comes to the truth. Even the love that he had for Jesus doesn't keep it from being Satan's words. Are you out there? This would have been a perfect place for Peter to speak up and say, but Lord, I didn't mean any harm by that. I just don't want you to go away. Does that change what he just accused Jesus of? He just accused Jesus of telling a lie. And that didn't seem to satisfy Jesus no matter what the motive was. Like I said before, this is a place where so many people get in trouble. They get off track because they don't know the leading of the Holy Ghost because they don't know the word. They don't have a foundation of the word to be guided into. And so what a lot of people do, a lot of well-meaning, well-intended Christians, not trying to speak disparagingly of anybody. I've done this in my past as well. I'm sure you have it too. But when we start praying about things that the Word already says, we don't open ourselves up to the leading of the Holy Ghost. We open ourselves up to the words of the devil. See, if the Word, if the word of God already tells you what to do, there's nothing to pray about. I've had people tell me, Pastor Mike, I'm just going to pray and see if God tells me to tithe. Okay, have, have at it. Good luck. Almost invariably, people will come back. Now, there have been a few exceptions, people whose heart were right about it to begin with. But invariably, people will come back and say, you know, the Lord just showed me that that's of the Old Testament. Well, where'd they get that notion? They opened themselves up to the spirit realm hoping to hear from God. But when you don't speak to God based on his word, you don't have any way for the Holy Ghost to lead you. Look with me over to Acts chapter um, 16. 
Acts chapter 16 tells us about Paul's missionary journey, his second missionary journey. He comes to Derby and Lystra and finds uh, Timothy, brings him into the fold, ministers in certain churches. Verse 6, Acts 16, verse 6, it says, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Notice that phrase, for forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach in Asia. If Paul didn't know how to be led by the Holy Ghost, how's he going to know to be in the place that God wants him to be? And see, sometimes being led by the Holy Ghost is not just what to do, it's when to do it. Let me read verse 6 to you again. When they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Do you know where Asia is? Uh, It's not Asia on our map. Asia minor, basically, Asia minor was Turkey. The greatest church that was ever established in the, in the region of Asia was Ephesus. Now, we know in Acts chapter 19, Paul does go to Ephesus. He goes to preach the word in Asia, and he has the greatest revival of any place that he ever had. He does the greatest works from one headquartered location in the three and a half years that he's in Ephesus than anywhere else that he's ever been. But here, just a couple of chapters before, which turned out to be a few years before, the Holy Ghost is saying, no, I don't want you to go there. How come? We know he cares about, we know God cares about the people in Ephesus because he winds up sending Paul there later and he establishes a great church. It says that from the headquarters in Asia in Acts chapter 19, they reached all of Asia, the whole territory through their ministry there. The seven churches that Jesus tells John to write to in the book of Revelation, first couple of chapters of the book of Revelation, those are the churches of Asia, the seven churches of Asia. Those churches were started or planted from Paul's ministry in Acts chapter 19. But here, the Holy Ghost says, don't go there now. You know, it's a funny thing, and I can plead guilty to this myself too, It's a funny thing because when the Holy Ghost speaks to you and tells you to do something, a lot of times we get excited about that and run out and try to get it done right away. And in some cases, what we should have done is waited after we got the what to find out the when. And sometimes the how, too. These stories that are given to us, this account particularly, is the only thing that we have that shows us how to be led by the Holy Ghost. It's the only thing we've got. We know that the Bible says that we're supposed to be, Romans 8, 14 again, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 16 of the 8th chapter of Romans says, the Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the sons of God. But nobody knew anything about being led by the Holy Ghost. Nobody knew anything about the how. How did Paul learn? Nobody's there to teach him. How did he learn? I can only assume that the revelation he received from Jesus during the years when he was separated, when he separated himself under the work of God or the call that God had on his life, 
I can only assume that the revelation that he said that he receives and tells us about it in writing to the church became the foundation for hearing from the Holy Ghost. See, if Paul hadn't put the word inside of him, now he knew the Old Testament. Paul was trained as a rabbi. He tells us that himself. He was trained as a rabbi. He had the same educational experience that the high priest had. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, not the tribe of Judas, or I'm sorry, not from the tribe of Levi. So he couldn't have become the high priest. But he was well qualified in the knowledge that he had received. Everybody recognized that there was something special about Paul before he was converted, that he was a rising star among the high priests, among the priesthood. So that basis or that foundation of the word of God from the Old Testament and the revelation that he received about what Jesus did in fulfilling the Old Covenant put him in a position where he could tell when the Holy Ghost was saying yes and when the Holy Ghost was saying no. Now, I wish we knew how the Holy Ghost did forbid him. I wish we had enough information to, to understand how the Holy Ghost did forbid him. But since the Bible doesn't tell us, then we must assume that it's the same way that he forbids you and me. Not with skywriting. But just something on the inside that tells you whether you're going in the right direction or the wrong direction. Thank God he was, thank God Paul was sensitive enough in his spirit to know. So they tried to go into Asia, and the Holy Ghost forbid him to go. Verse 7, it says, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed, that means they attempted, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Now, the word forbidden in verse 6 and the word suffered in verse 7 are two different words, but they both mean pretty much the same thing, and that is they were not allowed to go. Maybe we ought to ask the question, why does Paul assume that he wants to go into Asia first anyway? Well, the answer to that would be pretty simple. And that is, the largest cities were in, the, uh, were in Asia. Paul had a habit of going to the biggest cities and preaching and establishing a work there because that was the central location for people to be able to go out from. It was, he picked the cities that people would travel to so in the hopes that when people would hear the word, they'd take it back home with them wherever they went. That's certainly the way the Holy Ghost worked in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. It was a time where people had traveled into Jerusalem from all points, on the, uh, all points in the earth, in the Middle East. People were there from every location, every city, every region. They'd come to present themselves to the, to the, before the temple, before God in the temple, as they had been commanded to do. Well, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, where they were filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, which brought them into the middle of the streets where Peter preached to them and 3,000 people got saved that day on the day of Pentecost. Now they're saved. They've had a new birth experience and they've got something to take back to wherever they came from. Well, that seems to be the pattern that Paul tries to follow as well. But the Holy Ghost forbids him. The Holy Ghost tells him no. So what do they do? Well, if we can't go to Asia, we'll go to the next biggest place, and that's Mysia. And the Holy Ghost said, no, I don't want you to go there either. Now, here's a question for you. Two times, 
The Holy Ghost is forbidding him. You know the rest of the story, I'm sure, about how they wind up just putting down, bedding down at night in the place they are. And in the nighttime, Paul saw a vision from a man, where in the vision he saw a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. Well, he shares the, the vision or the dream that he had with his partners, traveling companions the next day. And they all gathered or assumed or took it to mean that that must be where God wants them to go is in to Macedonia. So they go to the chief city of Macedonia, which is Philippi. Here's my question. Why didn't the Holy Ghost just tell him go to Philippi? Wouldn't that be easier to say once than to say twice, no, don't go to Asia, no, don't go to Mysia? Or Bithynia, wherever it is they said they wanted to go. Why didn't the Holy Ghost say to Paul before he ever comes to that crossroads, why didn't he tell him, speak to him, witness to his heart, something? Next place I want you to go is Philippi. And do you realize that if Paul had not been sensitive enough to know the voice of God or the leading of God or the inward witness, if Paul had not been sensitive enough, we, we have to assume that he was because he's the one that tells us about it. He's the one that writes to the church about these things. The whole map of the world would have changed. The gospel would have gone east instead of west. It would have gone toward China. And in all probability, America would be the one that was left out of the gospel work. This decision, which seems to Paul to be an easy thing, where do I go preach next? This decision had world-changing circumstances or results. So they go to Macedonia assuredly gathering that the Holy Ghost had called him to preach there. Do you know that Paul never found the guy that he saw in the vision or the dream? He sees a man from Macedonia in the dream saying, come over here and help us. So they go there, and he finds women washing clothes. He didn't find the man in the dream. We have no record that Paul ever looks at anybody and says, hey, you're the guy I saw. See, folks, sometimes the Holy Ghost leads us in a way that we don't think would be the best or the easiest or the plainest or the simplest. There are times where the Holy Ghost will test us, not with evil. I'm not talking about being tempted to, to sin or to do evil in any way whatsoever. I'm not talking about sickness or disease. God doesn't use anything that's of the devil to, to deal with his children. But there are times where God will give us opportunities to have experiences with the Holy Ghost simply for the purpose of us learning what it's about. Folks, we need to pray about the things that we do in life. We need to seek God about the steps that we plan to take. Now, as I said before, if we don't have a foundation in the Word then we're not going to know whether the Holy Ghost is talking to us or not. But if we'll establish the foundation of the Word of God, put the Word of God first place in our lives, and then live by what we see it says, it to, says to do, if we'll establish that kind of foundation, then God will lead you 
God will avoid and avert things that the enemy would try to do to mess up your life. But it's so easy to do like Peter did in Matthew 16 and just get our flesh involved in things and say, well, here's what I think we ought to do. And that may or may not be God. Turn with me over to Acts 19. Well, turn with me to Acts chapter 21. We'll skip over this for the sake of time. But Acts 21, it says, The next day that we were of Paul's... I'm sorry, let me try it again. And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy... And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. So get the picture. He's in Philip the Evangelist's home in Caesarea. Philip the Evangelist is the one in Acts chapter 8 that goes down to Samaria and preaches Christ into the city. And the people gave heed to the words that he spoke, seeing the miracles that he did. It tells us about the the people that were uh, lame and halt and maimed. And the the gifts of healings or the miracle works that operated through Philip. Now fast forward 20 some odd years, 25 years maybe. And he's got four daughters, virgins which did prophesy. Now think about what prophecy is. I know the church world has a lot of different goofy um, definitions for prophecy. But prophecy in its simplest form just means this. It means inspired utterance in a known tongue. So if somebody was going to prophesy here, they'd prophesy in English because we know the tongue. But it's inspired utterance. It's words that the Holy Ghost gives you to say. So Philip's got four daughters, apparently young girls, and they prophesied. They're accustomed to receiving the Holy Ghost give them words to speak. Now, a prophet named Agabus comes down from Judea. It's a different situation with a prophet. A prophet prophesies too, but he's got other things going on in his life and in his ministry to qualify him for that office. It doesn't say Philip's daughters had any office whatsoever. They're just used of the Holy Ghost to speak the words that, that God gives them to say. But Agabus, the prophet, comes down. And when he was come, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, Luke is including himself in this company. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place. What place? Caesarea. They of that place is Philip and his four daughters who know the voice of God who are acquainted with the leading of the Holy Ghost to speak what God once said. When we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. The only person that does not say was involved in this whatsoever is Agabus. But when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Paul has already purposed in his heart to go to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 19 tells us that that's what he says when he left Ephesus because of the riot. 
After three and a half years, it says Paul purposed in his spirit to go to Jerusalem and said, after that, I've got to go see Rome too. So he's been given direction. Just as he was forbidden in Acts chapter 16 from going into Galatia, or I'm sorry, from going into Asia, and then Bithynia. Now he's got clear-cut direction in Acts chapter 19 about going to Jerusalem, and after that, going to Rome. He understands the purpose. How does he know? Well, in the same way that he knew that the Holy Ghost was telling him not to go to Asia, and not to go to Bithynia, now he knows the Holy Ghost is saying, but go to Jerusalem, and after that, go to Rome. Remember, Paul's the one that write to, writes to us the verses we've already quoted. Romans eight fourteen. for as many as are led by the, the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits. Well, that's got to be what's happening to Paul, doesn't it? I mean, if it was something supernatural, some other way that gave him direction, we'd have record of it like we do this. And here we have a record of where Philip, and his four daughters who know the voice of God, they know the, the moving of the Spirit of God, hear what Agabus says, which very simply is, here's what the Jews are going to do. They're going to imprison Paul and turn him over to the Gentiles, Romans. Notice how Paul responds to this. Then Paul answered and says, What mean ye to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. Now, this is not the only time when people have tried to tell him what's coming up. In the previous chapter, Acts chapter 20, when he's at uh, Ephesus, he goes back close to Ephesus, not into the city. He was forbidden to go into the city by the magistrates. But he meets the leaders of the church on the outskirts of the city in, in a place close by. And he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, and after that, I'm going to Rome. I don't know what's going to happen to me except this. This is as much as I know, he says. He says, every city that I go to, the Holy Ghost witnesses that bonds and afflictions await me. So that means everywhere he's gone from Acts chapter 19 when he left Ephesus to get back to Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, every place he's gone through, every city that he's gone through, he says that somebody has told him by the Spirit of God, and it would have to be the Spirit of God for him to know what's coming. Part of what Jesus said was the Holy Ghost to show you things to come. So here we've got in every city that he's been to since then, since Acts chapter 19, every city he's been to, he's had somebody witnessing to him by the Holy Ghost about the trouble that's waiting for him. But in each one of those cities, just like here in Caesarea, when Agabus comes down, he's with Philip and his daughters. Every time, with one exception, and Agabus is the exception, in every case, people foresee or interpret what the Holy Ghost has shown them about Paul being taken captive to mean don't go there. Was it the Holy Ghost that revealed it to them? Had to be. They saw exactly what was going to happen. But does that automatically mean that God doesn't want him to go? Paul says no. Paul says, I'm ready to go to Jerusalem, not only to be bound, but also to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14, and when he would not be persuaded, 
That means everybody there, with the exception of Agabus. Agabus is not of that place. The one person that knows God better than all the other people that are bringing revelation to Paul about his future. The one person, the prophet, that's most acquainted with the voice of God, used to reveal things by God. He's the one guy that doesn't try to put his own two cents in. He simply says, thus saith the Holy, the Holy Ghost. Here's what the Holy Ghost is saying. The man that owns this girdle will be bound just like I've bound you here. He'll be bound by the, uh, the Jews and turned over to the Gentiles. He's the only one that doesn't try to direct Paul or tell him what he should do. Everybody else, well-meaning, well-intentioned, not wanting Paul to come to any harm, certainly not wanting him to die. Everybody else in this story, everybody else in this story, in every city, says, here's what the Lord has shown me. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. But it comes to an end here. Notice again what Luke said. We'll read it again. And when he, Paul, would not be persuaded, that means they're trying to talk him into doing what they want him to do. When he, Paul, would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. What does that mean? That means Paul convinced them, based on the inward witness they had about what God wanted him to do, Paul convinced them when he couldn't be convinced of them otherwise. When Paul would not be convinced or persuaded to not go to Jerusalem, we cease saying the will of the Lord be done. That means very simply, Paul convinced them that it was the will of God for him to go. It's a good thing he knew God. What do you think would, the situation would be if you or I were going from city to city? After the first city, somebody says, don't go to Jerusalem because they're going to put you in jail. I'm guessing that would make us kind of wary. The next city that we come to where somebody says, here's what the Holy Ghost is showing me. They're going to put you in prison, Paul. Don't go to Jerusalem. I'm guessing by around the second or the third city, maybe, most of us have bailed out. And, and how easy would it have been? How easy would it have been for Paul to say, well, if God didn't want me to not go, why would he be showing people in every city that I go to? Paul would be in a perfect place to say, maybe I misinterpreted what God wants me to do. Maybe once I decided to go to Jerusalem, maybe that was just me, and now God's trying to show me what's ahead so that I can avoid it. How easy would that have been just to say, okay, you guys are the 32nd witness that I shouldn't go, so okay. But after all the people that he's encountered in all the cities that he's been to, that have told him basically the same thing about what his future holds, Paul was able to convince Philip, his four daughters, and Agabus that this is the will of God for me. Jesus said that when the spirit of truth has come, he'll guide you into all truth. And the word is truth. That means you and I can expect and even place a demand on 
the Holy Ghost leading us into the truth of the God, the truth of what Jesus has done for us, the truth of what belongs to us, the truth of God's plan for our lives. I want you to look at one other scripture with me, and that's over in Matthew chapter 8. Verse 5, it says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. Centurion's a Roman soldier, a, a captain of a hundred soldiers. And saying, Lord, my servant lies at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Jesus then continues to speak about things, tells the, the man, go your way, and as you have believed, so be it done unto you. And his servant is healed in that self-same hour. Here's a guy. He's not saved. Nobody could be saved at that point because Jesus hadn't yet been to the cross. But here's a guy that has an understanding of authority, words specifically. That's what he identifies with authority, isn't it? He said, I'm a man under authority, and I tell one person to do this, and he does it. So when he understands authority, what he means is the authority that's ca carried in words that are spoken. So the centurion gets exactly what he believes for simply by his understanding that the word alone will do the job. Now here's my question. What kind of Christian did this centurion make? If as an unsaved Roman soldier, Gentile, we don't know anything about his acquaintance with the law of Moses, we don't know anything about his study of the Old Testament, we don't know if he's ever heard of the prophets before or heard what they had to say, we don't know if he has any direction uh, or any con connection with the Old Testament in any form whatsoever, we know him from this point only where he says, speak the word only and my servant will be healed because I know how this works. The authority you have over sickness and disease is the same authority I have over my servants and over my, the soldiers under me, in my, under my command. But when Jesus goes to the cross and it becomes available for any and all to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, to be born again, to become new creatures in Christ Jesus. What kind of Christian do you think the centurion made? He's got a foundation of the greatest faith or one of the, the greatest faith people that Jesus comes across. Wonder what happened to him after he got saved. Church tradition tells us that he became the pastor at the churches. Capernaum. But the historical evidence is pretty spotty on that. Seems to me that it's a good thing to wish for, but there's no way to know for sure. But if this guy was willing to act on the spoken word only, remember what, we, what Jesus told us about the Holy Ghost. He'll not speak of himself. Remember what Jesus said about himself. I don't speak the words that you hear of myself. They're of my Father. And those words do the work. That's what this guy taps into. Jesus spoke the word of his servant being healed, and he was healed the self-same hour.
What kind of Christian would this guy have made? I'm guessing he would have wound up living his life not like the one experience Peter had where he confessed Jesus as the Christ because of what had been revealed to him. I'm guessing the centurion is going to be operating according to a, in a lifestyle, living a lifestyle of speak the word only. When letters to the churches come out, when they begin having records of the things that Jesus said and did while he was here in, from the four gospels, and the other things that the apostles are inspired by the Holy Ghost to write. I'm guessing this centurion is eating everything up like crazy. Because he understands authority. He understands the authority of words. He understands the authority of words. Folks, if we don't come to the place where we understand the authority of words, the authority of God's words, the authority of God's words being spoken to our heart by the Holy Ghost in things that the Bible might not cover. See, the Bible tells me whether or not I'm supposed to walk in love, but it doesn't tell me if I'm supposed to move to Hawaii. So there are things that go beyond the Word of God in our individual lives that we're going to need to be so sensitive to the Holy Ghost that we get it, that we understand, that we don't let what somebody else thinks like Paul had to deal with in every city that he went to. We don't have to deal with, or uh, well, we may have to deal with it, but we overcome what some people think that we should do by the inward knowledge of what the Holy Ghost has told us to do. When we come to that place, then we can become vessels of honor that God can use. I wonder how many people the Holy Ghost is trying to use, but they don't know his voice, so they miss out. Looking at the church world worldwide, I wonder how many times a day the Holy Ghost is trying to get something done, trying to prompt somebody in their spirit, witnessing with their spirit, to do some work that God has for them to do. I wonder how many of those situations the people strike out. In my peanut brain, I'm thinking about if we ever get to 50% of the people God's trying to use that allow him to use them, that'd be remarkable. But God expects it of every person 100% of the time. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth, separate them. For your use and purpose, Father, through your word. Your word is truth. The bottom line for, for me, I guess, is this. Every one of us should be a speak the word only believer. Every one of us should be a speak the word only believer. That puts the responsibility on us. To know the word and then to follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for the great Holy Spirit, the mighty one who lives in us. Greater is he that lives in us than he that is in the world. Thank you, Father, for revealing your plan, your purpose.
just like you did to Paul. I don't believe you cared about him more than you care about us, Lord, because the Bible says you're not a respecter of persons. So just as you helped him to know what to do in his call, or according to his call, your call on his life, I ask that you would do the same thing to every one of us. We commit ourselves to be speak the word only believers. Therefore, we commit ourselves to be used of you, Father. Let us say, let us live a life that is so in line and so in tune with your word that we can say the words that we speak are not of ourselves, but they're of our Father. Let us live that kind of life before others, for we speak the word only. In Jesus' name. And everybody that agreed with that said amen. 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 Amen.